0: Up this phase, just trying to highlight y'all, see what's going on. Had a lot on my mind, reminiscing, trying to figure out these things that are going on my mind, trying to figure out some puzzles. I'm not here to start nothing, I ain't trying to start nothing. Just got some things that I want to get done, some things that I want to get solved, some things I want to enlighten myself with. So maybe y'all take a time and to get the opportunity to stop by and listen to my thoughts. Hope so. Very intellectual. So, if you get time, just holler at me. I'm reminiscing. All in my room. Just trying to figure out a whole lot of things. Until then, y'all have a great day. And thank you for coming in and listening to me. Just talk Can't we just talk, we just talk. talk about How we come Before we get lost
1: Let me Can't get where we go Without a moment uh, Christian Zionists in America have no idea that the people living in Israel are not native mm. how uh, the area of Palestine, Israel, whatever you want to call they were not born there. They immigrated from Europe. Ashkenazi Jews. They were Ashkenazi Jews who came in from Europe and with the rifle took the land. They, God didn't give it to them. They, they took it at the point of a rifle shooting Arabs, and they killed Muslims and Christians. They slaughtered them, massacres women children horrible massacres that is the history of israel 1948 and i dare any christian zionist to prove me wrong because i can show you the historical records of the massacres that took place in 48 horrible absolutely horrible the people who were killed and because of that the the arabs developed a, a fury and anger that that European Ashkenazis just flooded in to Palestine and violently pushed them off their land. Most Christian Zionists in America.
2: The immunization panel has recommended that folks get their COVID booster this fall. Just curious if we have a sense of when that's going to be available here in Alberta and if the province is going to be launching any kind of campaign to encourage people to do that. And I guess personally, if, if
3: you yourself were planning to get the shot. I'll let, um, minister in tell you, I think we've just, we're, I think yeah. we're just, uh, um, preparing the final details on this release on that before you, before that, would you get in the shot? Look, I'm, I'm a healthy person. I, uh, I tend to take care of my immune system and I, I believe this is something I should talk about with my doctor, not politics, but not uh, media. That's okay.
4: uh, Thank you for the question. And, and yes, we just uh, received information from the federal government in terms of when we will be seeing those uh, vaccination, um, those vaccines available to the province. So we're working through the process, All um, as always. Um, Albertans ought, have, do have access for flu, um, influenza, RSV, etc. all of the various uh, vaccines that are available. So once we have that information, we'll get it out as soon as possible. As part of the normal course of business, typically vaccines are available the end of of um, uh, September, beginning of October. So we anticipate that information coming very shortly. just the same a- question to you, Minister Grange. Do you plan to get the shot? It depends which shot you're talking about. Like I'm, I'm, I'm oh, looking. <laughs> I, I'm very healthy as well. Um, I have a very healthy immune system, and uh, you know what? I, I also believe that this is a personal decision for individuals to make. Um, I, I will look at that uh, as as time progresses and what my my journey is. But again, this is a, a personal decision. People have to make it for themselves for their children. And
0: see. You see how they throwing, getting the COVID shot, getting the COVID shot, getting the COVID shot, these people on the microphone, and the man asking them a question, and then they seem to me like, I don't know, y'all, like, they ain't going to get it, they don't even trust it. Why is they pushing it? Is it yeah, I'm going to get it. Yeah, yeah. When it's time, I'm going to get mine. Yeah, this and that and that. But they want to force feed you some poison. Y'all better listen to them. let a lot
5: generation that is not hampered by the burdens of nostalgia we are ready to look at africa france relations with fresh eyes with optimism and with confidence to paraphrase nelson mandela our choices must reflect our hopes and not our fears we are not afraid to take our responsibility you must find the courage to take yours because france cannot remain trapped in an outdated vision of the african continent we have come to propose solutions and to dialogue with you because we have a different a more admirable future to propose not necessarily because we are going to be comf- comfortable about what will change but because at this point it is the only thing that makes sense but before we present this vision to you mr president there are some profound truths that need to be told in order to clear the air. And that is why I invite Adele on stage to present the facts. Thank you very much.
0: Bonjour.
6: Hello, I'm Adele Oyango. And I
0: come from Kenya.
6: as far as my French will take me so (laughs) um, I'm really honored and happy to be here today um, because I think it is no secret that the current relationship between Africa and France is complicated and in order for us to build a relationship that addresses issues that affect not only Africa not only France but the globe then it's important for us to interrogate this very complicated relationship and ask ourselves three things. One, what is not efficient? Two, what is not ethical? Three, where do we see integrity gaps? And to be able to do these three things, we're going to have to be brutally honest. The history of colonization is understandably very important. For Africa, it's a path that is as painful as it is destructive. And the effects of colonization can still be felt to date. And I'm not just saying economically, but even on an interpersonal level. We, as Africans, feel the pain of colonization every single day. Now the lack of a clear and strong acknowledgement of the continent's pain on this destructive past results in skepticism and the absence of actions that will further push the acknowledgement is also a major issue in the current France and Africa relationship. In fact, the air of denial that France chooses to sit in is uncomfortable, not only for Africa, but also for France. And it does no good for either one of us. How can you trust the source of your pain when the source doesn't acknowledge it? What we end up with is skepticism on what exactly does France stand for? And so we ask you, Mr. President, how strong can a relationship that is built on pain that is built on skepticism, and that is built on lack of trust really be? We not just as a team here, but all of us in this room and the 5,000 who helped with the report and the millions more on the continent and off of the continent wants a commitment from you, Mr. President, that you will join us in the eradication of La France-Afrique, which is a very unfair dominance, and it has to end. Furthermore, the breakdown in understanding what France fully stands for is fueled by the continued collaborations that France has with agencies, leaders, and individuals who have glaring integrity issues, whilst on the other hand, claiming to be standing for human rights. So on one hand, so on one hand, we have France that is entrenched in issues around racism, around exploitative dominance, and whilst on the other hand, They're still claiming to teach others about democracy. These are two. These are two profiles that one cannot fill at the same time. And when you try to do that, we find it rather arrogant. What it creates is a cognitive dissonance, which is that discomfort you feel because of these two conflicting values. It not only doesn't make sense, it is unsustainable. It puts a negative perception and an ambiguity in knowing once again, what values does France stand for? Now it is very clear, I mean, because we are all here that the current relationship is imbalanced. It's not collaborative. And in in some instances, it's exploitative. We have social impact solutions built without any input from relevant African um, civil society organizations who are a resource when it comes to really understanding problems on the ground and creating solutions that run efficiently. And they are a resource that Africa is willing to lend to France. Let's also not forget that whilst we in this room are here because we want to change and repair this relationship, there are some who are benefiting from this current dysfunctional relationship, be it private businesses from France on the continent with non-ethical practices or corrupt individuals and groups from both France and Africa. This group and the lack of a very loud and public condemnation of this obviously fuels skepticism so this honest interrogation is a very important first step because the strengths and weaknesses of this current relationship will dictate the success or failure of our collective future relationships but we are not only telling you what's not working (laughs) we are very solution driven which is much unlike the heads of states that you're used to me saying. <laughs> we know exactly what you need to commit to today. And we have a clear path on how we can achieve that. And that is what my brother, Arthur, will share with you.
3: Arthur, you-, you trust. Tonight, I want to begin by showing you some pictures. Look at this, what you'll see looks like a spaceship landed in the middle of a desert of ice. But if you look carefully, you'll notice a Russian flag flying on top of a building. This is a Russian military base in the Arctic. It can house up to 150 soldiers. It has radar facilities, even an airfield where any type of plane can land. And this is just one base. Russia has amassed unprecedented military might in the Arctic. It has stationed soldiers, built air bases and deployed advanced weapons. Now look at this. This is a nuclear-powered icebreaker. Russia is building four of these at a shipyard in St. Petersburg. These vessels will be deployed in the Arctic to assert Moscow's dominance over the region. But why the Arctic? When did the North Pole become a front? Why would Russian soldiers be stationed in the cold and barren Arctic? And why are the Russians so keen on controlling this? President Vladimir Putin has a grand plan. The ice in the Arctic is melting rapidly. For the rest of the world, this is a climate crisis. But for Putin, it's an opportunity. At least that's how the Kremlin sees it. Russia could become the biggest beneficiary of climate change here. Let me explain how. Once the ice in the Arctic melts, it will open up a new shipping route. Like this one. It is being called the Northern Sea Route. You could say this will be Russia's very own Suez Canal. It will dramatically reduce travel time from Asia to Europe. Right now, a shipping trip from Asia to Europe takes around 25 to 30 days, if the Russian route opens. The same trip will take around 18 days, one eight. And Moscow has plans to operate this route like a toll road. They want to charge you or any country for using it. And that's just the beginning the potential of the arctic goes way beyond beyond shipping routes the receding ice in the arctic is a 35 trillion dollar opportunity 35 trillion dollars the region contains a wealth of petroleum and natural gas according to american estimates this region could have around 412 billion barrels of oil the kind of supply that could last for generations it has deposits of minerals like iron ore zinc and lead and precious metals like gold, diamond, and gemstones. Tonight, NATO is sending a message to Russia. For the next two weeks, 250 military aircraft and 10,000 soldiers will dominate these skies. They're practicing how to respond to a Russian attack. So what really is happening in Europe? NATO drills, the largest ever, the biggest air exercise in NATO's history. Germany is playing host. A total of 25 countries are taking part. This includes friends of NATO as well, countries like Japan. Japan has joined as an observer. And Sweden, which is still waiting to join the NATO. And what are these troops preparing for? A potential war with Russia. Or should I say, another war with Russia, considering they're already fighting one. This exercise is quite deliberately taking place at a level that is not intended to contribute to escalation. It is, of course, a massive presence. It is also important to send a clear signal to Russia. So NATO is sending a message to Russia. Although the exercise is not a, a new idea really, it was first thought of in the year 2018, four years after Russia annexed Crimea. These drills were meant to be a response, it took them four years to think of a response. And in the end, they chose to junk the plan. Then Russia invaded Ukraine, and more than a year into the war, NATO has finally come together to conduct an air drill, full marks for promptness.
7: From my perspective, we are sending a strong message here that we care about our security. And that, I think, is something that is needed more than ever since Russia's invasion of Ukraine.
3: Germany is leading these drills. But what's the point of this exercise beyond making a point to Moscow? testing and maintaining interoperability in simple English they're trying to see if they can fight as one force against Russia the focus of the drills is Eastern Europe in the next few days the warplanes will practice maneuvers they will fly towards the east every day towards countries like Romania and Estonia they're close to Russia and the war in Ukraine and NATO is trying to show Moscow and perhaps itself how quickly it can deploy if the battle in Ukraine spills over The implications are clear. They're preparing for a larger conflict. Eastern Europe has been militarized. The last pretenses of neutrality have been shed. You see, for decades, Brussels has avoided a conflict. And now they're actively gearing up for one. Europe is spending big money on arms. Again, I have some numbers. Europe's arms imports have increased by 47%. In the recent past military spending is breaking records last year europe spent 13 percent more on its armies by december 2022 europe's defense spending crossed 200 billion dollars for the first time ever a part of this is going towards buying arms for ukraine but leading european nations which profess neutrality for the longest time are also arming themselves and guess who they're turning to for the weapons the United States of America. It has got meaty orders from its European friends. Germany is one of the biggest buyers. It has ordered 35 F 35 aircraft. The deal is worth over $8 billion. Then we have Poland. Ahead of Russia's invasion, Poland ordered 250 M1 Abrams tanks. How much did, they, did it cost them? Around $6 billion. The United Kingdom asked for a missile defense radar. The price tag was 700 million. Around the same time, Spain placed an order too. They wanted choppers from America. So the trend is quite clear. Europe feels threatened. It is arming itself and playing war games. A larger attack from Russia may become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Is Vladimir Putin planning to attack NATO? It seemed impossible last year. Ukraine alone was a handful for the Russian army. But now new reports have emerged, new statements from Russia. They say Putin will target NATO's soft underbelly, the so-called Achilles heel. And where exactly is that? Let me pull up the map for you. You can see Russia, Belarus, Poland and the Baltic states. Now focus on this land between Poland and Lithuania. It's called Kaliningrad. This is Russian territory, Kaliningrad. Moscow took this land from Nazi Germany during the Second World War. And since then, it's been theirs. Now, Kaliningrad is surrounded by two NATO states, Poland and Lithuania. But there is a land bridge to Russia's ally Belarus. This land bridge has a name, the Suwalki Gap or the Suwalki Corridor. It's around 100 kilometers long. It's sparsely populated, but it's NATO territory. The Suwaki Gap is shared by Poland and Lithuania. It's been called many things. The most dangerous place on earth, NATO's soft underbelly and NATO's Achilles heel. But why would Putin attack it? Well, for strategic reasons. The Suwaki Gap is the only way to go from Poland to the Baltics. The only land route. If you take that, you can cut off the Baltic states. Three NATO nations would be isolated from their allies. That's Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia. So simply put, it's a choke point. Now, if you're watching us from India, this may sound familiar to you. India too has a choke point. This one, called the Shiliguri Corridor, also called the Chicken's Neck. This corridor connects India to the northeastern states. What Shiliguri is to India, Suvauki is to NATO. But coming back to Putin, what's his plan of action? The Kremlin itself has not said anything, but Russian parliamentarians explained how it would unfold. No Russian soldiers will be used in this operation. Instead, Wagner mercenaries from Belarus will engage. I know it sounds confusing. Didn't Wagner rebel against Putin just recently? Well, this Russian lawmaker claims it was all part of the plan. Wagner would rebel. Their fighters would be exiled to Belarus. And once there, they would train. Satellite images show new military camps have popped up in the country in Belarus. Hundreds of Wagner fighters have started moving in. Reports say they could take the Suwauki gap in hours. The question is, will Putin give the order? Suwauki is still NATO territory. An attack on this area would trigger Article 5 of NATO. What is Article 5? It says an attack on one member is an attack on all NATO members, meaning NATO would be at war with Russia officially. Will Putin risk that? Let's play the devil's advocate for a bit. Russia has a lot of military muscle in Kaliningrad. Tens of thousands of soldiers, nuclear missiles, also the Baltic naval fleet. On the other side, in Belarus, you have the Wagner fighters. So Russia could easily swoop in from the east and west. They did something similar in Ukraine, remember. After invading, Russian troops made a beeline for Crimea. They created a land bridge between Crimea and the Russian-held land. So taking Suwauki would be easy, but holding on to it, that will be much tougher. NATO has been preparing plans to defend against Russia. They've dusted out old plans from the Cold War, so chances are they have mapped this out, this out, this eventuality, they've mapped it out. Plus, it's not uncommon for countries to prepare such attack plans. Not to use them, but just as backup. So perhaps this Suvauki plan is something similar. Logic says Putin will not use it. His attention is pretty much on Ukraine right now. He is pounding Ukrainian cities with airstrikes. The latest was on Odessa. This is a port city in southern Ukraine, Odessa. It was hit by two consecutive nights of airstrikes. Take a look at the damage. Entire buildings have been destroyed. Even the port of Odessa was hit. Russia is calling this revenge strikes. Retaliation for the Crimean bridge attack earlier this week Now targeting the port was not a coincidence by the way Russia pulled out of the Black Sea grain deal this week It says Ukraine is using the Black Sea for combat Hence the attack on Odessa And the whole world should be concerned about this Ukraine makes up around 9% of all wheat exports Global wheat exports If the port of Odessa is destroyed That trade stops So food prices could go up President Zelensky says Russia
4: is doing this on purpose and that Putin is weaponizing food.
7: Obviously, the Russian leadership is now trying to provoke these crises. Without our exports, the deficit on the global market will unfortunately be very noticeable. And not only for the poorest countries. Different countries will feel it. From Libya and Egypt to Bangladesh and China.
3: So Russia is on the offensive and so is Ukraine. Take a look at these pictures. They show how Ukraine is hitting russian positions in the east those are grad rockets they're part of kiev's much hyped counter-offensive it's been slow and costly but ukraine says this too is part of the plan apparently they're going slow to avoid casualties but how long will this continue how long can this continue russia's strategy is to wear down ukraine and nato if nato stops giving weapons ukraine will fall no two ways about it and washington knows this The Pentagon Chief, Lloyd Austin, says this is not the time to slow down.
8: As we saw again today, this contact group stands united behind them. Today, we recommitted to supporting Ukraine during its crucial counteroffensive and for the long haul. And this is no time to slow down.
3: I guess that's that. 17 months on, things have gone from bad to worse. Food grain is stuck at Ukrainian ports. Cities are being pounded with little impact on the front line. And there are concerns of an attack on NATO. Maybe Russia and Ukraine are not losing this war. But their people certainly are. The only black girl in the group did not get a medal. The video went viral. It prompted condemnation from far and wide, including Olympic giant Simone Biles. She said, and I'm quoting, there is no room for racism in any sport. As international outrage and allegations of racism mounted, the Irish sports body issued an apology, a lukewarm one, 18 months after the incident. Now, the girl's family says, too little, too late, and they're right. Our next report tells you why.
7: This video is from March last year, it shows a medal ceremony at a gymnastics event held in the Irish capital of Dublin. You can see young gymnasts lined up, patiently but excitedly awaiting their medal. Every girl gets a medal, except for one, the only black girl there. The sporting official avoids her and moves on to the next in line. At first the young girl is surprised, doesn't understand what's happening, but soon her smile turns into a sigh. She looks at the line ahead to see if the official would come back with the medal, but no one does. No one intervenes either. There's an audience of hundreds in the stands, also a photographer, a coach, and other officials. Everyone simply looks on. This weekend the video went viral. It got over 40 million views and received condemnation from across the world. Olympic champion Simone Biles said there is no room for racism in any sport or at all. Her teammate and Olympic winner Jordan Childs said, This is beyond hurtful on so many levels. The girl's mother says her daughter was ignored because of her identity. Last year, the parents issued a complaint of racism. For 18 months, the Irish sports body Gymnastics Ireland did not apologize to the family. Instead, they held an investigation and simply asked both parties to talk it out. They declined to attend the mediation. In August this year, they claimed both parties had reached a resolution. The official involved expressed deep regret. She described it as an honest error. After international condemnation mounted, a written apology was eventually provided to the family. But the young girl's mother has rubbished it. She says the issue wasn't settled after mediation. And the apology was a one-line letter, which started with, To whom it concerns? Doesn't really scream remorse now, does it? During mediation, the girl's mother discovered that the judge had written another apology, a long personal letter within days of the competition. The judge sent it to the Irish body to send it to the family, but it never reached them. Meanwhile, no anti-racism policies were implemented. There was no improvement in protection for athletes of color. It appears that the Irish body was more focused on protecting its reputation rather than safeguarding the athletes from blatant racism. And this is not a one-off incident by any means. Racism is pervasive, no matter the age group, no matter the sport. There were 137 instances of racism in sports in 2018 the world over. A sharp increase from the 79 in 2017. According to a global survey held last year, 14% of professional cricketers experienced racism. Almost two-thirds of the victims said they did not receive adequate support from their boards afterwards. In a much talked about scandal this year, Real Madrid star Vinicius Jr. was the target of racist abuse. In 2018, Russia was charged with fan racism. It was the host of the FIFA World Cup, where fans directed monkey chants at players of the French national team. In a separate incident, fans chanted Nazi slogans. Last year, Italian rugby star Sherif Traore got a banana for Secret Santa. Traore was born in Guinea. He said the most difficult part of the incident was seeing most of his mates laughing as if everything is normal. Cricket, football, rugby, tennis, gymnastics. Racism ails every sport, much like it ails our society. The young gymnast's video went viral, but one can only imagine similar cases that go unheard, unseen. Again we ask, who is looking after them? When?
9: Oh, Chilling the wine, I
0: stay tuned cool to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. when know
2: me, Kevin.
0: I'm always.
3: This one claims he prevented a nuclear war. We don't know when it happened, but this is how the upcoming biography narrates it. Ukraine was plotting an attack on Russian ships in Crimea. Their plan was to use submarine drones, but they never hit the target. Instead, they washed up on the Crimean shore. The book claims that Elon Musk intervened. He secretly asked his engineers to disable Starlink near Crimea. And why did he do that? Apparently, Musk spoke to Russia's ambassador in the United States. He told him of the drone attack. The Russian envoy said there would be a nuclear response to this. So Elon Musk got spooked. He disconnected Starlink satellites. The book says Ukraine asked him to restore the connections, but Musk refused. He said the drone attack would lead to an escalation. Our story is not about Elon Musk. It's about this worrying trend. How can one company dictate the outcome or the course of a war?
2: Russia is going to send military experts to North Korea to help them build all kinds of military equipment, rockets, you name it, weapons, all of these things. In return, North Korea is going to send 300,000 soldiers.
6: 300,000
4: to 500,000 soldiers. And the first deployment will be about 20,000 soldiers in the name of logistic corps.
2: Would those North Korean soldiers go into Ukraine to help mop that conflict up?
6: They're going to be there to help with Russia's defense against Ukrainians or against the allies between U.S. NATO, and so this is their increasing military might against the U.S. and the entire NATO.
2: Well, this is such a sign of aggression that if this is true and your whistleblowers are correct on this, this is moving us closer and closer towards World War III. And Xi Jinping now taking over more territory, moving into Siberia, and this island All of this, to me, says America, who's been the strongest body on Earth, is losing control and losing grip. And that new axis of evil is taking that control away.
3: It's a big deal. They're cut off from the rest of the world. Their leader hardly travels. So where is he going? He's going to Russia. Russian President Vladimir Putin will host Kim Jong-un later this month. And this visit is a big win for Kim. Not only is he stepping out of isolation, he seems to have some negotiating power this time. Reports say Russia is looking to get some weapons and North Korea could be the one supplying them. What kind of weapons? And what does Kim want in return? Our next report has all the details.
7: North Korea isn't used to getting a lot of attention which is why its leader keeps firing rockets. But Kim Jong-un's fortunes might be changing. The war in Ukraine has given him an opening. Vladimir Putin wants to talk to Kim. He's rolling out the red carpet for him. The specifics are still being worked out. The visit could happen as soon as this month. Kim could pull out his armoured train and travel to Vladivostok on Russia's Pacific coast. Putin is expected to meet him there. The Russian president is supposed to be in Vladivostok later this month. The city is hosting the Eastern Economic Forum. This is an annual affair. Russia hosts the event to promote investment in the Far East. The forum runs from the 10th to the 13th of September. It's a nice window for Putin and Kim to meet. Why is the Russian president making the outreach? He wants something from Kim. North Korean artillery shells and anti-tank missiles. Recently, Pyongyang welcomed a visitor from Russia, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu. Kim Jong-un gave him a tour. He was seen chaperoning the Russian Defense Minister and showing off the latest North Korean weapons, like this ballistic missile. The United Nations has banned them, but the Russians showed great interest. Reports say after that day, Putin and Kim have exchanged letters. The U.S. thinks Moscow's partnership with Pyongyang is set to deepen, and the weapons trade will serve as the foundation of this relationship. Last month, the U.S. warned North Korea.
8: So the broader issue here is Russia seeking out rogue regimes, uh, to include Iran, uh, attempting to try to uh, obtain additional ammunition uh, or weapons. And so again, we, we call on North Korea uh, to not negotiate with Russia or provide uh, any type of ammunition which could kill innocent civilians in Ukraine.
7: But neither side is paying heed to Washington's threat. Kim seems prepared to supply arms to Russia. In recent weeks, he has visited munition factories. Kim asked manufacturers to step up production. But his support won't come for free. The North Korean leader has two demands. Support for his nuclear and missile programs and economic support in the form of food supplies. But more importantly, it's the photo op that matters. A meeting with Putin helps Kim. He can use it to fuel a new narrative. Uh, He wants to create an
3: impression that he has Russian backing, which is partially true, but he wants to seriously emphasize it. He wants to get some... Military
7: cooperation and assistance, maybe some sales of the North Korean weapons and ammunition. While appearances do matter, it remains to be seen how much bargaining power Kim Jong un really has. Last month, the Kremlin was asked about North Korea. Moscow revealed it wants to deepen ties, but it didn't say how far it's willing to go. Either way, Kim Jong-un's travel itinerary is bound to create fresh challenges for America.
4: Niger's military government has declared a new era in the country's history, saying it will be based on sovereignty and mutual respect with foreign partners. That's as Paris announced the end of its presence in Niamey.
7: French troops and the French ambassador will leave Niger before the end of the year. This is a historic moment that shows the determination of Niger's people. Each person, each institution or structure that threatens the interests of our country must leave the land of our ancestors. Imperialist and neo-colonialist forces are not welcome anymore on Nigerian territory
4: strong words the French president Emmanuel Macron made a dramatic u-turn when he announced the withdrawal of his country's ambassador and troops from Niger and that statement was made on Sunday evening in a televised interview
2: France has decided to bring back its ambassador in the next few hours our ambassador and several other diplomats will return to France we are ending our military cooperation
10: the question right now is whether it was pressure or a genuine decision that led to the French president to making this announcement. And we we'll also recall that a few days ago, it was reported that some West African countries, such as Mali, Burkina Faso, including Niger, had found a military plan. And Macron at that point had nothing much to do besides just giving in to the demands of of the military government that the troops must leave the country, as well as the France diplomats that were in Niger. The announcement also came after the coup leaders issued a statement that they were closing Niger's airspace to France, and this despite President Emmanuel Macron previously insisting that it was no way possible to talk about withdrawing French troops from Niger with the current military um, officials.
7: We do not recognize the legitimacy of the Putschists' declarations, since President Bazoum has not relinquished power. And so, if we redeploy, we would only do so at President Bazoum's request and in coordination with him not with officials who today are taking the president hostage.
10: Experts continue to say that this particular coup is, of course, bruising for Macron after he sought to make a special ally of Niamey and a hub for France's presence in the region following the coup in Mali. On the other hand, ECOWAS has repeatedly threatened military action to restore Bazoum, but so far, those threats, none of them have been transferred
4: into any action so far. We spoke to Adam Agaba II, a former Nigerian presidential candidate. Now, he told us that uh, the move by Macron is evidence that Paris has accepted the failure, finally, of its neocolonialist policy on the African continent.
11: You can see that the Nigerians are out, all of them in numbers. They are men and women, they are boys and girls chanting anti-French slogans and asking the French to pull out of their country. And I think what the government of French did was to accept their defeat, accept the fact that the neocolonialism in Africa no longer works. African spirit has woken up and the Africans are saying we want to take control of our destinies, our resources, our sovereignties, our democracies, our way of life, that we do not want any foreign colonial masters encroachment in our system. It means that the france african policy that is already failed, to some degree, France is interested in the instability because it gives them opportunity to exploit cheap resources without government, without order, without law, without jurisprudence, without sovereignty. So when these places become ungovernable, it's easy for the French to plunder and steal all the resources they used to do in the name of terrorism or fighting terrorism but we should be able to manage policies that fit into africa for africa by africans we have to partner with the global community but we have to partner with real credible responsible partners as i mentioned like partner with with west that is always full of plunder and exploitation since the colonial period
4: niger's
9: I that there's a time to love
11: and there's a time to hate
2: And then, good old
9: Christian, two things always happen.
2: The white man come preaching love, and the white man's greatest dog, the black woman, backs him up.
9: And always take a black woman to back the white man up. Y'all see the problem? Get that on camera. That's the problem in America. We can't become one because you have division. And the black woman loves standing behind her man, which is the white man. The black woman's problem She won't get behind the one man that was created to defend her. The one man that was created to defend her, give his life for her,
2: she don't love
9: him. We up here talking about black love and she defending the white man. Y'all see that? Do y'all see that? We up here talking about black love and then I'm going to show you Matthew 5 and 43 and you know what she's going to do? Find another reason to defend her dog. She gonna find another reason After she find out that the enemies What she wants y'all to know Here's here's what she wants y'all to know My
6: husband is black
9: Right And she's God damn And let me tell you what she recognizing too She recognizing that the white man is our enemy Y'all realize that The verse that she want me to go to Is when Christ said to love your enemies So she's telling you that the white man Is our enemy Right. But still trying to find an excuse to love this devil. Y'all see a problem? When the scripture just said it's a time to love and a time to hate. Now, I was going to show you where God hates the white man. But before I show you where God hates the white man, please, oh, oh, we're going to read, read Matthew 5 and 33. Please read Matthew 5 and 33. Please read that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. <laughs> Ye have heard that it hath been said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. Now, does anybody know where this was said when Christ said it? You see how the beginning of the verse it says, Ye have heard that it has been said. Y'all read that part again. Ye have heard that it has been said. Now, Christ is quoting something. That's why he said, ye have heard that it has been said. So now, does anybody know where it was said, what he about to say? It was said in the book of Leviticus, the nine, 18th chapter, when it said to love your enemies, excuse me, love your neighbors. Now, if he's talking to the children of Israel in Leviticus, the 18th chapter, who is he talking to in Matthew, the 5th chapter? He's also talking to the children of Israel. The enemy, and during this time, we was enemies to each other. The northern kingdom and southern kingdom of Israel Were separate from each other So we're the ones that became the enemies That's why when that white woman came to Christ What did Christ tell her? I am not sent But unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel Keep reading But I say unto you Love your enemies Bless them that curse you Now The enemies that we're supposed to love Is us What Christ was bringing You can get that scripture, Kyle What Christ was bringing out is the end of black-on-black crime. You had the Jews that hated the Israelites. Why am I saying it like that? The northern kingdom was called the house of Israel. The southern kingdom was called the house of Judah. That's why he had two kingdoms. The reason why they got split is because they hated each other. So when Christ is saying, love your enemies, that's the enemy that he's talking about. Show me a verse where Christ ever said he came for anybody but the children of oh, Israel. God, so lovely, he world. never said that. Oh, Lord, God, so and world. I'm not, the listen, I, I told y'all the I was a prophet, right? Lord, God, so, so, I, love I love told world. y'all when for I showed God, y'all what so Matthew 5 and 43 was going to do, y'all was going to do what? To Find another God. scripture. Lord, God, so so I'm fine with that. Let's get John the 3.16 world. now. Listen, hold Michael 7. Let's world. get John 3.16. Listen. That's the white man's favorite scripture, and his love of the black woman, that's her favorite scripture too. Now, after I show who the world is, let's see if she still defends her or stands with black men. That's why we can't unite. The reason why black people can't come together, because they're too She recognized the white man as her enemy and is trying to find reasons You're to love him. Read John 3.16. Read. The book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. I got one question for the crowd. Just one question. When Christ said, for God so loved the world, who was he talking to when he made this thing? Hold on. I'm gonna, don't answer yet. I'm going to read the whole thing first. Read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ain't that a beautiful scripture, y'all? Beautiful scripture. Yeah. Now the question i got is when Christ made that statement, who was he talking to? Who knows the answer? Everyone. Who's talking to Everyone. He had no enemies He was talking to everybody Anybody else here? So he was Who was he talking to When he, when he said for God, Say again He was talking to sinners Right? So he made that So what you said sis, Is that he made that statement To everybody When he said it Right? Let's find out the truth Read John 3 and 1 The book of John chapter. When I say the truth I'm not talking about I'm not going to hypothesize You can't hypothesize We're going to read Who he was talking to Right now So then you can't say It's my words no, but there's words of who he's talking to right here. Read John three and one. The book of John, chapter three, verse one. Now this is the beginning of the book, so you can understand who the conversation is between. Read. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So now Nicodemus is a Jew. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. Keep reading. The same came to Jesus by night. Saying what? Came to Jesus by night. So everybody believes that when he said, for God said love the world, that he made that statement in front of everybody like how I'm in front of y'all. But in reality, it was just a conversation between two Israelites. It was not a conversation between everybody, sis. It was a conversation. If I was talking to this brother one-on-one, I'm talking to him one-on-one. That's the first mistake that people make. Now let's get to the word world. Give me John 17 and 9. Everybody looks at the word world and believes that the word world means everybody on the planet. World just means ages or society. The world that you live in, for example, China's world is not America's world. Their society or the way that they live over there is not the same here. The black man's world and the white man's world is different. It's just the age of society that you live in. So now... John 17 and 9. Now remember, for God so loved the world, right? John 17 and 9. John 17 verse 9. I pray for them. So now, there's a people, there's a written way. There's a people that Christ prayed for. He said, I pray for them. Read. Really? I pray not for the world. I what? Pray not for the world. and what? I pray not for the world. So why do we bring the John 3:16? If John 3... I got you. I got you. I got you. So now, if John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. John 17 and 9 says, I pray for them, meaning I pray for certain people. I pray not for the world. Then we will first have to understand that there's a context when it comes to the word world. Wouldn't we have to agree? That depending on where you see it at, it could be talking about something different, right? Now, what if I can show you in the scriptures that the word "world" is talking about Israel? Can we then stop with John three sixteen? I guarantee you can. Give me a. There she does. You see how she ran away? The scripture said a wicked flee with no man pursuing. Now she made the statement. I answered it with scripture, not my conjecture. And she ran away. That's the problem. Nobody wants to face the truth. One of the greatest things Christ said was. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It didn't say the truth was going to make you feel good. And I know you think it felt good to love white people, but white people just want you to die. Either they want you to die, or they want you to make money for them, or they want you to kill for them. You got Isaiah 45 and 17? No, you Isaiah 45 and 17. Uh, you got Isaiah 45. Now remember, we talk about the word world. She brought up the word world. Now her white right dog left you. Her white right master left. Let's see how long she stayed. Now she said John 3 16, for God so loved the world. So let's see if Israel is called that world. Read Isaiah 45 and 17. Read. The book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 17. But Israel shall be saved. I love the Lord. I love her. And I love these goddamn scriptures. Read that again. But Israel shall be saved. Lord, the writer said Israel shall be saved. It didn't say a white man. did say an Afri-
12: Please, please listen to this. It matters. There is still no deal to fund the government. The Senate just introduced a bipartisan bill to keep things open till mid-November. But Speaker Kevin McCarthy is under a lot of pressure from some of the most radical conservatives in the Congress. Now Republicans are working on a long-term funding bill and a continuing resolution. Those proposals include some really deep cuts that I want you to know. Potentially slashing housing subsidies for the poor by 33%. One million low-income mothers and kids will be kicked off food support and 70% cut to heating assistance for struggling families and an 80% reduction in funding for public schools that are serving the poorest students. So anybody out there who wants to tell you, oh my gosh, if the government shuts down, this is about a zoo and a museum getting closed for a little while. No, it is not. It is about children, food, and shelter.
8: The United States has voiced criticism about the Belt and Road Initiative on a worldwide stage. However, it appears that no nation is believing these words. Instead, Many countries firmly believe that the Belt and Road Initiative is a valuable project and they have no intention of backing away from it. Following Italy's example, Indonesia is also eager to strengthen its collaboration with the Belt and Road Initiative, highlighting just how important this initiative is to the Indonesian people. But why is the U.S. trying to make countries back off? And despite these efforts, why is it failing? Why are the nations sticking to this project? Let's find out. Welcome back to another exciting episode of our channel. Innovation Diary brings you China's innovation stories, projects, and growing influence in different parts of the world. If you are new to the channel and enjoy learning about fast-paced modernity, especially China's development and growing power, you will find our videos intriguing. In this video, we will discuss how important the Belt and Road Initiative is for Indonesia. We will also discuss the reasons why the US criticism holds no value. Watch the video till the very end to know if nations will ever withdraw from this initiative. Let's get started. On September 6, a significant development for the Belt and Road Initiative was taken, which not only tells us about China's importance, but also highlights how less the U.S. matters in the global landscape. China and Indonesia held discussions about potentially extending a multi-billion-dollar Beijing-funded railway project. This project, a high-speed rail line, currently spans 142 kilometers and connects the Indonesian capital, Jakarta, to the city of Bandung. The proposed extension would stretch the rail network further, all the way to Surabaya, Indonesia's second largest city, covering over 700 kilometers across the island of Java. This extension was discussed during Chinese Premier Li Chang's visit to Indonesia, where he also took a trial ride on the bullet train. The project, a flagship initiative of Indonesian President Joko Widodo, has encountered numerous challenges since its beginning. These include complications related to land procurement, delays due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and rising costs. Despite these hurdles, Indonesia has set a commercial launch target for the Jakarta Bandung section on October 1st, though this date is significantly later than the original target set for 2019. The project's progress has been closely watched, especially given its association with China's Belt and Road Initiative. During Premier Li Chang's visit to Indonesia, he had the opportunity to ride the high-speed train on a 41-kilometer section of the track, which runs from Jakarta to Karawang on the outskirts of the capital. This symbolic gesture highlighted China's commitment to the project and its potential extension. Li's ride not only signified the ongoing development of the railway, but also convinced people about the project's safety and operational readiness. Transport Minister Budikarya Sumadi noted that the project had not yet received an operational permit from Indonesia's transport ministry. The permit was pending the results of safety checks. However, Minister Budi expressed confidence in the project's safety, emphasizing that Premier Li was pleased with the quality of the rail system. This project is really important for both China and Indonesia, after all the challenges it faces. Now the challenges are increasing, but before discussing the recent issues regarding the Belt and Road Initiative, let's first talk about the previous concerns. The Indonesia-China High-Speed Rail Project has faced its share of challenges after it started. These challenges have not only delayed its completion, but have also prompted questions about its feasibility and economic viability. The first issue was the land issue. Acquiring the necessary land for the rail project proved to be a complex and time-consuming process. This was worsened by land disputes, compensation negotiations, and bureaucratic hurdles. This issue was on Indonesia's part. Second was the pandemic delay the COVID-19 pandemic disrupted global supply chains and slowed down construction activities, causing further delays in project completion. Also, the initial estimated cost of the project ballooned to $7.3 billion, significantly higher than the original projections. Managing these costs while ensuring the project's quality and feasibility remains a critical concern. Lastly was the operational permit delays. As mentioned earlier, The project's operational permit had not been granted as of Premier Li's visit, primarily due to ongoing safety checks. This delay has added uncertainty to the project's timeline. But what is the recent issue that made both China and Indonesia accelerate their efforts? Before we continue further, tell us, are you enjoying the video? If yes, please like and share the video and subscribe to our channel for more videos about China's development, power and influence on the world. Let's continue now. China's Belt and Road Initiative is an infrastructure and economic development project that aims to connect Asia, Europe, and Africa through a network of railways, roads, ports, and other infrastructure projects. It is an example of China's ambition to strengthen its economic and geopolitical influence on a global scale. However, it has also faced criticism and opposition, especially from the United States. As experts say, the Belt and Road Initiative poses a threat to the U.S. The United States has been actively advocating against countries participating in the Belt and Road Initiative. The U.S. government has expressed concerns about China's intentions behind the project, framing it as a tool for expanding Chinese influence and economic dominance. The U.S. has accused China of engaging in debt diplomacy, where countries receiving belt and road funding become indebted to China, potentially compromising their sovereignty. The U.S. has invested considerable effort in disseminating negative narratives about the Belt and Road Initiative. This includes highlighting instances where countries have struggled to repay their debts to China, raising questions about the transparency of Belt and Road projects, and framing it as a way for China to export its excess capacity. Contrary to the U.S. narrative, many countries participating in the Belt and Road Initiative view it as a means of infrastructure development, economic growth, and increased connectivity. These countries argue that Belt and Road projects provide them with much-needed investments in critical infrastructure, which can drive economic development and job creation. Indonesia's decision to pursue the high-speed rail project in partnership with China is a clear indication of the benefits of the Belt and Road Initiative. By investing in modern transportation infrastructure, Indonesia aims to enhance connectivity between its major cities, boost economic growth, and attract foreign investment. The project aligns with Indonesia's broader infrastructure development goals. The discussion of extending the high-speed rail line from Jakarta to Surabaya highlights several key points that contradict the U.S. claims. Extending the rail line to Surabaya would bring practical advantages in terms of improved connectivity, reduced travel times, and increased economic activity along the route. The fact that China and Indonesia are actively discussing this extension indicates a continued commitment to cooperation and partnership on Belt and Road projects. Despite criticisms and challenges, the Belt and Road Initiative remains an attractive option for countries seeking infrastructure development and economic growth. The willingness of countries like Indonesia to engage with China on Belt and Road projects signals a shifting geopolitical landscape where China's influence is on the rise. As of now, more than 150 nations are involved in the Belt and Road Initiative in various capacities. The initiative has become a global phenomenon, representing a massive investment in infrastructure, trade, and economic development. This broad participation suggests that many countries see value in aligning themselves with China's vision for global connectivity and development. The Belt and Road Initiative's expansion highlights China's growing importance in the global arena. China has emerged as a key player in international development and economic cooperation. Its willingness to invest in infrastructure projects around the world demonstrates its commitment to globalization and its aspiration to shape the economic future of nations. The continued growth of the Belt and Road Initiative has implications for U.S. influence on the global stage. While the U.S. has attempted to discourage countries from participating in Belt and Road projects. The growing list of participating nations suggests that many view it as an opportunity for economic development and infrastructure improvement. The discussion of extending the high-speed rail line in Indonesia is another story of the Belt and Road Initiative's success in promoting infrastructure development and economic growth. Despite challenges and criticism, many countries see value in participating in Belt and Road projects, emphasizing their potential to drive economic development and enhance connectivity. This expansion not only highlights China's growing influence in the world, shaping global geopolitics and challenging traditional centers of power, but it also tells us about the U.S.'s decreasing importance. As the Belt and Road Initiative continues to expand, it is likely to remain a focal point in discussions about the future of global infrastructure development and economic cooperation. And no propaganda can stop nations from investing in this project more and more. We would like to take a moment here and...
0: I, I picked the me. blue oh. ribbon on the seats. You have a high, my shot, Lamagata, and the Prince of Peace. We a nation comprised of kings and priests. We're keeping up a sock and feast and we've ever since the sense of battle we've been calling. We used to get in that dirty body that's all clean. Better answer the phone when it's calling Spiritual treasure falling like it's falling All kind of branches yeah, yeah. on my body Got me drip, drip My niggas got it out the mud We used to flip zips If I got up on that handy, I'm a handy on my sip, sip I ain't talking prescription pills When I stick to the script I was lost in the sauce I didn't forget that I still go back to the block For my people I give back Telling crack the pregnant woman My nigga I did that Now I'm praying to God Hoping he forgive that Cause I'm in the truth now I know you heard that the Broadway on the corner Where we teach the word at I that's the same place we used to serve packs. Had no love for my people, but I had to purge that. The scriptures are for us bias like it's boo-boo. Rep the platter, get your like it's su-boo. Shout out to 80 Levi, put that boo-hoo. We got it popping now. Boo-boo. I put the blue ribbon out of the seat. Your God in the Prince of Peace, we a nation comprised of kings and priests. We're keeping up a side and feast, and we've ever since the sins of Adam, we've been falling. We used getting that dirty money not talking Better answer the phone when he's calling. Spiritual treasure falling like it's falling. Yeah, yeah. Beastly nation comprised of kings and priests. We're keeping up a side feast. to meet. Ever since the sense of Adam we've been falling. Feels getting that dirty, 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 not that clean. Better answer the phone when it's calling. Spiritual treasure falling like it's falling. Yeah, yeah.